0: Hey, hey, hey! Spook Squad listeners, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of the podcast. I am one half your hosts. my name is Dan, and I am so glad that you are listening to another episode of what we call Horror Headlines, where we catch y'all up on the biggest news in horror over the course of the week, trailers, rumors, everything in between, all under 20 minutes. So, without further ado, let's jump right into it with this weekend's box office news and how it relates to horror. So, in Horror Box Office... I gotta tell you, a bit of a slow week for horror this week after the release of Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark last week. Uh, this week we saw the release of 47 Meters Down Uncaged, which unfortunately could not compete with the competition this weekend. It opened at $2 million less than its predecessor, the first 47 Meters Down. Uh, the gross was about $9 million, and this thing had about double the budget of the first one, so that is rough news for the studio, unfortunately. Still, it's not... Not all bad for horror as a whole as the aforementioned scary stories to tell in the dark continues to do pretty well all things considered bringing in another 10 million this weekend which is less than its opening but still pretty good all but ensuring that this thing makes back basically its budget and its production deficit which is great news for that studio and great news for Andre Overdahl as well so good stuff for that film. Moving on, we've got interesting news out of the Friday the 13th universe. This comes from Kane Hodder, who is the most famous person to portray Jason. I think the only person to portray Jason more than once. So he was recently questioned about what do you want to see out of the Friday the 13th series moving forward. Now, for those of you folks who don't know, the reason we haven't seen a Friday the 13th anything for about what is it a decade now i believe the remake came out in 2009 the reason for that is it's been mired in this ugly awful legal battle which has just been destroying the original creators and preventing fans and everyone from seeing or creating any kind of new content from the Friday the 13th universe with Jason, with anything. So, that being said, everything that Kane is saying here is just hypothetical. But still, of all the people to ask, he'd be a pretty good person to ask to say, what would you like to see? Well, no surprise, he would like to be brought back for the 13th installment in the series. He thinks it's only fair because, as I said, he's the only actor to portray Jason more than once, and they did him dirty by not having him in the Freddy vs. Jason movie, which I believe was his idea, if I remember correctly, or... Uh, kind of heard that on the down low. So, uh, they did him dirty. They think that, you know, it would be a good thing to bring him back for the 13th installment. Well, why? Well, his other idea is that he wants to bring back people who have survived in the past films to kind of bring around a sense of closure to the series the way that kind of fans have been getting with the new Halloween. You know, they brought back the original Michael Myers. They brought back Laurie Strode. Why not do something similar for another another beloved horror franchise, Friday the 13th? He specifically mentioned Corey Feldman, which, dude, I'm totally behind. Bring back Corey Feldman. That'd be great. But if there was a way we could get Kevin Bacon back, too— That would be really huge. That would be some star power behind this thing that would really give it, you know, a little bit of a push. And, you know, with Kane there, I think that would also get the hardcore horror fans as well. So who's to say if this will ever happen, but it's pretty interesting to hear. Moving on, uh, this is a little bit of sad news in the horror world, horror-adjacent world, and it has to do with a film called Faces of Death. Now, one day, I'm going to do an entire episode on Faces of Death, because I think it deserves it. It was released originally in 1978. It is totally, totally infamous, and maybe a few of you know about it. Uh, It was this so-called documentary on death, and one of its big selling points is that it claimed it showed real footage of real death. Now... Actually, in reality, a lot of it is fake, just with special effects, you know, typical movie magic tricks, whatever, to create the illusion of it. I think there's some real footage in there of, like, accidents or whatever, but for the most part, this is a fabrication. Nonetheless... This thing spawned a legacy. Everybody saying that it was real, everybody saying it was the most taboo, most extreme thing ever. And I gotta tell you, parts of it are definitely extreme. The parts of it that are real, or even the parts that are fake, it is definitely a pretty extreme cinema experience. And in the era of VHS, this was one of the most coveted VHS tapes ever for horror fans. If you knew someone who had faces of death, it was one of the biggest things ever. You were gonna invite everyone over. You were gonna ask if you could get a copy. You just wanted to know how they got their hands on that thing. It was so, so rare and so infamous. And now, like a lot of rare and infamous things, it's just on Shudder, which <laughs> shout out to Shudder, dude. That's one of the most awesome things. But anyway, let me get back to this news because it is sad. The original creator, the director of the original Faces of Death, has unfortunately passed away. Now, originally the creator was credited as Conan Lacyclair, but it was a pseudonym. The real individual's name was John Allen Schwartz. And unfortunately, we learned this week uh, from his spouse that he passed away. She wrote a very very sad thing for him passing away and i gotta say shout out to john allen schwartz who i don't know if you wrote the uh parts that were spoken during the documentary but it was it really adds a lot of interesting context and moodiness to the film those bits are so humanizing and indeed i think really make feces of death what it really is it's not all about the special effects or the footage it's really about that commentary in combination with it all so R.I.P. John Allen Schwartz. Just wanted to shout that out there. One of the most infamous pioneers in extreme cinema. But back into horror news now. Okay, so we, we're getting a sequel to a film on Netflix some of you may remember from a couple years ago called The Babysitter. So, looks like production for the sequel to The Babysitter, which is as of untitled, we'll just say Babysitter 2 right now. The production of this thing begins in October with Mick G returning to direct (laughs) mcg sorry his name is literally mcg 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 now i know mcg as a producer on the supernatural series but he's also done a couple of other things that he's returning to direct this but the screenwriting is being handled by dan lagana who wrote the american vandal series which is also on netflix and i think that gives it a little bit of interesting context because american vandal was very clever very funny and i gotta say the babysitter shoots for that same self-aware kind of thing. I think if we can inject that American Vandal energy into this sequel, then we really got something very interesting on our hands. But moving on, this is also very interesting. Alexandre Aja is apparently going to direct a choose-your-own-adventure haunted house horror movie Amblin Partners. Now Amblin Partners have been gunning for awards and box office domination by previously being involved in films like Ready Player One, Green Book, Welcome to Marwin*, and more. Like awards bait, a lot of stuff. Now they're getting into this unique spin on horror with Alexander Aja at the helm. Now this is from Collider. Very interesting stuff. It's apparently a branched narrative film that's based on an idea by Mike Flanagan, who's a great, great horror director you may know from the Haunting of Hill House series, and also Jeff Howard, who also worked on the Haunting of Hill House. Now, apparently Jeff Howard is going to co-write this with Alexander Ajah and a guy named Nick Simon. Collider continues to say, to develop the project, Amblin Partners is working with Kino Industries, Control movie technology, which empowers filmmakers to create branched narrative interactive feature films that allow audiences to influence the storyline using an app on their cell phones audience members will be able to vote in the theater to decide what characters will do at pivotal points in the narrative, meaning that Aja's film will have a different plot, ending, and even runtime, depending on the audience's choices. Now, that's very exciting. This is a totally different type of cinema experience that I am not familiar with, but I'm very excited for, especially coming from someone like Alexander Ajah, who I know as a director is just willing to try new things, willing to push himself, but always willing to get some sick, gruesome horror stuff in there as well, which we always appreciate out of Alexander Rajah So keep your eye out for this project. I believe that it's definitely going to be way down the road, like next year or even the year after. But nonetheless, keep your eye out for this. Very interesting. Now, this next bit of horror news, this is kind of, it's grinding my gears, I'll say it. So the Midsommar Director's Cut was announced, and for it's going to be released October 8th, okay? But for some reason... Not included in this Blu-ray release is the director's cut, the 171-minute director's cut, which recently screened in New York City and I think a couple other places, introduced by Ari Aster, reviewed by many people to be brilliant, obviously, and full of a lot of great character development and interesting touches that didn't make it to the theater release, and yet for some reason, it's not going to be included in this Blu-ray release October 8th, so I'm like huh why would I get this I want that director's cut apparently Ari Aster said something at the screening like oh this like isn't for anybody or this is not for like the general public or to be released but it's like Ari come on man we want to see this we love your stuff dude just show us the director's cut let us see it come on it's not fair to just give it to New York City but regardless the DVD will be coming out October 6th. So moving on, we got to get to some of the biggest news and horror that we missed on commenting on while we've been away a couple weeks, and it has to do with this Blumhouse Universal Pictures film called The Hunt. So this is pretty big news. Maybe you heard about this already, but there's this film called The Hunt that was slated for release in September. It looked kind of like a thriller comedy type deal, featured some great comedic actors and actresses from the trailer that I saw. Anyway, it's centered around this group of people who get kidnapped, wake up in the woods, and where they're being hunted by wealthy elites. Full disclosure, for full context, apparently it's revealed that the kidnapped folks are from quote-unquote red states and the hunters are quote-unquote wealthy liberal elites or whatever. So you ask me, this is a prime setup for a satire, social commentary, something, and I think it'd be safe to assume that there would be some twists along the way, right? But then the El Paso and the Dayton shootings happened and the country kind of freaked out. And when some folks started talking about violent video games again, you know... You had to know that movies were on the chopping block soon, too. And lo and behold, the president commented on The Hunt, and there was this controversy. The studio initially halted the release, but then they just outright canceled it. So now, without even getting overtly political or anything, we have to know that censoring art is just not the answer. It's not going to solve a single damn problem that people actually care about. This is all a distraction. But this week, Jason Blum and director Craig Zobel finally commented on the whole thing themselves. Now, this comes from Vulture, and I got to say... Right off the bat, I am pleased that Jason Blum says, even with the controversy, he doesn't regret standing behind the movie and taking risks with creators and stuff like that, which is great. He made it sound like it was a series of mistakes with the marketing that led to the controversy, which, I don't know, but it's better than him thinking that it is the film itself. Anyway, this is what director Craig Zobel said, and I find this very interesting. He said, quote, if I believed that this film could incite violence, I wouldn't have made it. Our ambition was to poke fun at both sides of the aisle equally. We seek to entertain and unify, not to enrage and divide. It is up to viewers to decide what their takeaway will be. I wanted to make a fun action thriller that satirized this moment in our culture, where we jump to assume that we know someone's beliefs because of which quote-unquote team that we think that they are on, and then we start shouting on them. This rush to judgment is one of the most relevant problems of our time. I was devastated by going to sleep to El Paso and waking up to Dayton. These types of moments happen far too often in the wake of these horrific events we immediately considered what it meant for the timing of our film once inaccurate assumptions about the content and intent of the movie started to take hold i supported the decision to move the film off its release date end quote so all i could say at the end of this is i hope this film finds a home somewhere either on streaming services or something someone i was talking to recently said it should go on shutter i completely agree with that if shutter had the money to do that i really wish that they would make that happen because it's the perfect home for it Unfortunately, I think it would have done well in theaters as well. I think people would have gone to see it and they would have decided, oh, this is not what we think it is. But it's exactly like Craig Zobel said, the misinformation about it, it wasn't even worth it at that point, the controversy that it could cause. And I just find that, you know, very unfortunate. So, you know, food for thought. We're probably going to be commenting on this going into the future. Keep an eye out. See if this ever gets released. Moving on, we got some more news trickling out about the Halloween sequel since that news was announced. So once again, for people who don't know, uh, we're getting not one but two sequels to 2018's Halloween reboot with director David Gordon Green returning with collaborator Danny McBride, co-writing the script, and they're coming out in 2020 and 2021, respectively. Now, since we've heard that news, David Gordon Green has commented that this will absolutely be the end of the Laurie Strode saga as he sees it. And since learning that, we have learned that Nick Castle, who plays the original Michael Myers, who's reunited with Jamie Lee Curtis and Gordon Gordon Green's last Halloween will be returning to play Michael once again in Halloween Kills, and the two sequels are reportedly filming back to back, so it's likely that he will play Michael until the end of the trilogy. Now, this is what brings us into our next segment of the podcast. Rumor mill, yes, that's right. The rumor mill, where we talk about what else but rumors, and this is related to Halloween, like we were just saying, and it caught my attention. So, supposedly, David Gordon Green wants to bring back the character of Tommy Doyle, who is the kid that Lori babysat in the first film. This is the rumor, apparently. The character came back in Halloween 5, famously portrayed by a young Paul Rudd. Yes, and apparently, he was offered this role according to this rumor. Paul Rudd, that is. But he turned it down because he's filming the new Ghostbusters movie. So, I don't know. A couple of these details, it seems like it could be real, but I'm not really sure. Still, the character is rumored to return in Halloween Kill, so we will see if that ends up being true. Furthermore, since hearing that news, Tom Atkins, who was in Halloween 3, the lead in Halloween 3, he has expressed interest in a cameo as well, and he dropped the rumor that Charles Cyphers, who plays Sheriff Brackett in the original two Halloween movies, is also set to return in these films. So, a lot of rumors going around about who is going to be in this and who isn't. All we can say is stay tuned. We're definitely going to be hearing more news about the production of these films as soon as they start. Well... Now that that's over, Let's talk trailers. Let's Let's talk talk trailers! Now we got a few trailers to talk about this week since we've been away for a couple weeks, so let's get through them because I think I have like five minutes to get through five trailers. So first trailer on the list is the one for Zombieland Double Tap, which came out a couple weeks ago. This, of course, being the long-rumored and then-awaited sequel reuniting the cast of Emma Stone, Jesse Eisenberg, and of course Woody Harrelson for more action comedy zombie goodness. Now this has been in the mill for a while, so they give us a real big trailer which shows us a lot. And I mean a lot. So, I I could be wrong, but it kind of seems like it shows a lot of the plot and the arc of the film, which okay, for a movie like this, that matters a little less, right? The plot is no offense, it's not the drawing point, right? We come for the characters, the jokes, the visuals, which, they're all there. I just... Hope that they didn't spoil all the good ones in that trailer because it kind of happens every now and again. Still, Woody Harrelson's great. I really like that he showed everybody being nominated for Academy Awards before just immediately showing them blasting zombies with weapons. That's very intentionally goofy, and I, I love that about it. And uh, I love that they agreed to make this happen since they're all so high profile now. It just goes to show that, you know, people really wanted this, and I've been hearing demands for this sequel for years. And even though it looks like we got heavy CGI effects to look forward to in this one, I think, you know the characters in the action, they'll make it or break it. These are great performers, and that last script was real smart, so I hope that continues here. But the bad news for me personally is that the kind of thing about addressing tropes in horror genre, you know, being kind of self-aware or self-referential to zombie films, that kind of seems to be gone in this film, it just seems like they don't really care about that anymore but i will still be going to see this one and we'll see how it turns out moving on we have a film that comes out very soon august 23rd this one's called tone deaf i wanted to shout this out because it's got less visibility but it's got some real talent and maybe deserves some attention um This comes to us from Richard Bates Jr., who made Waves with his first film, Excision, which you may remember about a deluded young woman with dreams of being a doctor. But he has also gone on to do Suburban Gothic, who had Matthew Grave Goobler, Kat Dennings, came out a few years ago. Bates is definitely a talent. He walks an interesting tightrope in his films of humorous and horrifying, which is something I tend to be a fan of. And it seems like he's continuing in this trend with Tone Deaf, which stars Amanda Crew from Silicon Valley and Haunting in Connecticut as a recently fired woman looking to get away to an Airbnb and just play some music. And Robert Patrick from eater 2, yes, but who I know is aged Doggett on X-Files for that time that Mulder was missing. Anyway, Robert Patrick plays an older man who has but one regret in life. He's never killed, and now that he's trying it, kinda seems like he likes it. Unfortunately, he tends to own the Airbnb in question. Now, this trailer doesn't give a lot away, which is always good, as we say, but we see Robert Patrick looking pretty creepy, carrying around a hammer. We see him swing it, but we never see what happens when he does, which is a huge plus in my book. But the tone of this thing definitely seems to be part horrifying and part humorous. Robert Patrick is playing this straight-up scary, and it seems like he's doing great, but Amanda Cruz contributions Definitely seem more comedic, like your comment that Patrick's use of a tomahawk as a weapon is cultural appropriation uh, right before he's about to use it. So uh, overall, this kind of slipped under my radar until seeing this trailer, so now I'm actually pretty excited to see what Bates Jr. has for us here. Stay tuned for this one. Moving on, we have a trailer that just dropped today. This one's called Underwater from 20th Century Fox. Directed by William Eubank and starring Kristen Stewart and the incredible Vincent Castle, who I love, this movie centers around a crew of underwater researchers who must scramble to safety after an earthquake devastates their subterranean laboratory. And if you watch the trailer, it seems like something escaped when the earthquake happened. Now, they're at the bottom of the ocean. They don't know what's down there. They're stuck in this station. It's pretty creepy. This trailer, it definitely left me intrigued. It has a claustrophobic... kind. of sci-fi feel to it that many classics had i'm looking at you alien but this thing's got its own vibe of what as well as the added horror of being underwater like really underwater that's really scary for me this thing also seems dark and i mean like literally dark (laughs) in terms of lighting dark colors dull grayish blue tones just dark vibes all around check this one out when it comes out because this looks very very promising And finally, we got a film called Antlers, which is an upcoming film that was produced by 21st Century Fox, but now is being produced by Disney because everything is Disney. Regardless, this film looks dope, featuring Carrie Russell as the lead, directed by Scott Cooper and co-written by a guy who's written for the Hannibal TV series Channel Zero, among other things. Interestingly, it's produced by Guillermo del Toro, just like Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. The teaser trailer was just released today. It's a doozy. It's got great cinematography, very moody, dark atmosphere, lighting, everything. As a boy who reads what sounds like a story or an essay project allowed in class, gets really weird with it and kind of disturbing. It's about a family of bears changing and one of them becoming, quote, more meaner. It's kind of hard to grasp what the film is about, but it looks really exciting and interesting, and I, for one, can't wait to go to theaters and see it. And... Just under 20 minutes. That wraps it up for horror headlines. Did I miss any horror news that you wanted to hear this week? Let us know on Twitter at Spook Squad Pod or at Spooky Guy Dan or on Instagram at SpookSquad Podcast or email us at spooksquadpodcast at gmail.com. We would absolutely love to hear it from you guys. So from Spook Squad, this is Dan signing out. <laughs>